to use some of them in worshipping the Lord our God. And until we get there, we will not know what we are to use to worship the Lord. But the Lord hardened the Pharaoh's heart and he was not willing to let them go. Pharaoh said to Moses, get out of my sight. Make sure you do not appear before me again. The day you see my face, you will die. Just as you say, Moses replied, I will never appear before you again. Before I try to explain some of, God, of that reading of God's word, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, there is so much here of value in your word. Father, we know that every word of scripture is breathed by you and is useful for teaching, for rebuking. And Lord, there is so much here to unpack and so little time to do it in. Heavenly Father, I pray that today you will take my words that you have given me and speak to your people. Lord, I pray that they won't hear the words that I've written down, but Father, that they will hear words that come from you. Lord, and I pray too that just as I pray for my brothers and sisters, that they might have a soft heart to hear your word this morning. I pray too that you will soften my own heart so that I too will hear what you are speaking to us today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I love a sunburnt country, a land of sweeping plains, of ragged mountain ranges, of drought and flooding rains. I love her far horizons. I love her jeweled sea, her beauty and her terror, the wide brown land for me. Core of my heart, my country, her pitiless blue sky, when sick at heart around us, we see the cattle die. But then the grey clouds gather and we can bless again the drumming of an army, the steady soaking rain. We live, love our country, but we're intensely aware of its dangers and terrors. For all its beauty, its far-flung vistas, its richness and fertility, it's a land where heartbreak and disappointment, tragedy and loss abound. It's a land that's often in the grip of a drought that can last for a decade. But where rains can be so heavy and persistent that entire communities suffer the heartbreaking loss of everything as their homes and businesses are flooded. The beauty of our bushlands and grasslands are terrifying when there are ablaze, propelled towards people and property by the strong winds they generate. When seasons are good and the crops are plentiful, our land can produce plagues of mice that devour everything, eating not only the crops and the contents of silos, but also invading homes, clogging machinery, 
and even destroying cars with their voracious appetite. Or locusts can swarm across the landscape, stripping the fields completely bare overnight. An unstoppable army pillaging the countryside. Our beautiful, amazing country seems to be forever dealing with catastrophe in one region or another. To be perpetually plagued with disasters that are often described as being of biblical proportions. We're familiar with plagues. But to understand what's happening in today's portion of Exodus, we need to look behind the events to see their cause and their significance. Last week, we saw Moses being commissioned by God at the burning bush on Horeb, the mountain of God, to go to Pharaoh and to bring his people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. God also laid out the big picture version of events that are recorded in today's passage. We read last week, the elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. And God prepared Moses by demonstrating a couple of the signs and wonders that he would perform. And answering all of Moses' objections regarding his inadequacy in that most unsatisfying of ways, I know, but it doesn't depend on you. I'm taking care of everything. There's a new king in Egypt. His adoptive grandfather is dead. No one was searching for Moses the murderer. Nothing but nothing had changed. The new king is equally fixed on ensuring that the lives of the Israelites are as full of as much misery as he can imagine and inflict. So Moses took his wife and sons, put them on a donkey and started back to Egypt. And he took the staff of God in his hand. Moses' staff has now become God's staff. And the stage is set for the cosmic contest for the life of the firstborn. For Israel, God's firstborn son, or for the firstborn of Egypt. Perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I have given you the power to do. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn son. And I told you, let my son go so that he may worship me. But you refuse to let him go. So I will kill your firstborn son. We know the story well. 
Moses tells the Israelites about God's promised deliverance and their hearts rejoice as they receive the good news. But Pharaoh is totally unreceptive. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. He has no intention of acknowledging, much less obeying God. His mind is fixed. This king is not for turning and his reaction is swift and harsh. Oops. Go back. Make the work harder for the men so that they keep working and pay no attention to lies. Don't even think about missing with me if you know what's good for you. And as the opposition gathers, the enthusiasm of those who had received the good news of salvation dwindles. And yet, in spite of the opposition, and the cries of enough from his own people. Moses and Aaron persist in proclaiming the message of release to the prisoners, demanding in the name of the Lord that Pharaoh should let my people go. And the demands are accompanied by answers to Pharaoh's question, who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? by signs and wonders that illustrates God's power and authority over nature, his supremacy over the impotent gods of Israel. And so the life-giving rod of the Nile, the life-giving Nile runs red with blood, reeking with the stench of death and decay. But Pharaoh hardens his heart and his magicians say, say, we can do that too, inflicting even more pain. A week later, the entire country is plagued with frogs. But while Pharaoh acknowledges that God is behind this and prays for relief, promising change, promising obedience, when the frogs go, so does any heeding of God's word. And once again, Pharaoh hardens his heart. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. Then there are clouds of gnats, something that the magicians are powerless to replicate. They recognise that this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hard and he wouldn't listen. The magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hard and he would not listen, just as the Lord had said. The gnats are followed by flies. And to make it crystal clear that this is the work of God, flies everywhere except in Goshen the place where the Israelites were enslaved. As with the frogs, Pharaoh promises release 
in return for relief. But when God grants relief, Pharaoh hardens his heart and refuses to let God's people go. But this time also, Pharaoh hardened his heart and would not let the people go. Next, livestock, horses, donkeys, camels, cattle, sheep and goats die in huge numbers everywhere but in Goshen. But Pharaoh's heart is unyielding. Pharaoh sent men to investigate and found that not even one of the animals of the Israelites had died. Yet his heart was unyielding and he would not let the people go. The plague on livestock is replaced by festering boils on men and animals. While the boils incapacitate Pharaoh's magicians so that they cannot stand before Moses, this time something more serious has occurred. The hour for repentance has passed. The opportunity to hear, to acknowledge and respond has lapsed. This time, for the first time, God hardens Pharaoh's heart and he does not listen to Moses and Aaron. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not listen to Moses and Aaron just as the Lord had said to Moses. The boils are followed by hail, complete with a hail weather alert. Those who heeded the warning, who feared the word of the Lord, hurried to ensure that their slaves and remaining livestock were sheltered and escaped. But across Egypt, everywhere except in Goshen, those who ignored the warning paid a heavy price. Pharaoh realises his sin. He repents. But when the hail stops, he sins again, hardening his own heart and refusing to let the Israelites go. When Pharaoh saw that the rain and hail and thunder had stopped, he sinned again. He and his officials hardened their hearts. So Pharaoh's heart was hard and he would not let the Israelites go just as the Lord had said through Moses. The hail is followed by a plague of locusts. At the announcement of the plague, all Pharaoh's officials say, enough's enough, let them go. Refusal is bringing ruin on us. But Pharaoh ignores them as he has ignored God and Moses and Aaron until the announcement becomes reality. Then Pharaoh makes a show of repentance, asks for forgiveness and relief from the deadly plague, which God grants. But then the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not let the Israelites go. And the penultimate plague, three days of utter darkness, everywhere except in Goshen, almost persuades Pharaoh. But he balks at the idea of the Israelites taking their livestock with them. 
and with his heart hardened, he banishes Moses and Aaron from his sight on pain of death if he should ever see them again. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he was not willing to let them go. Pharaoh said to Moses, get out of my sight. Make sure you do not appear before me again. The day you see my face, you will die. A couple of weeks back, I said that there's only one story in the Bible. The good news of salvation through Jesus, told with ever greater clarity in one account after another. Our passage today is vividly reminding us of Jesus' ministry, of his miracles demonstrating his divine authority, of his teaching clearly announcing God's love and grace and mercy for his beloved people and proclaiming the coming of his kingdom, the day of salvation for all who believe and trust in his name. But our attention is inevitably drawn to the different responses of those who see these miracles and do hear the message. The mere announcement of the good news initially caused great crowds of Israelites to respond in joy, welcoming the news just as many flocked to hear John the Baptist when he announced the imminent arrival of the Saviour. But we quickly see that a deeper foundation is required for faith that is to survive opposition and hardship. We'll have to wait until next week to see what happened to the backsliding Israelites in our story. But most of our attention this week is focused on the response of Pharaoh and his court. And the difficult question that we end up asking is, how is it that God uses things intended for evil to bring about his salvation and demonstrate his glory and righteousness? The tension that on the one hand holds that God is sovereign in all things, that he knows the end from the beginning, and that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. While on the other hand, holding that we are responsible and accountable for our actions before God. God declared, God's declared intention is to dramatically rescue his people from Egypt through the demonstration of his mighty power and supreme authority. Pharaoh will let the people go, but not before he's felt the full impact of God's judgment on Egypt and the full depth of the mercy and grace that God has bestowed on his people has been demonstrated by spectacular means in which they've been delivered. God's purpose requires Pharaoh's refusal and God hardens his heart so that he does not agree to let the people go prematurely. But does that mean that Pharaoh is not responsible for his actions? Not at all. 
From the beginning, Pharaoh's heart is set hard in opposition to God. His starting point is complete denial of God's existence or authority. I do not know him. I will not obey him. When confronted with the consequences of his refusal, Pharaoh's choice is to dig in. He acknowledges God's existence, understands that his circumstances are the consequences of his disobedience. But his repentance is skin deep, a cry for help in need that is forgotten the moment the need is met. We've all seen that. Many of us have been there ourselves. Perhaps that's you today. If that is you today, I've got good news and bad news. The good news is that grace, mercy and salvation are still available for anyone who abandons any hope that they have that they will be good enough for God. Returns to him for mercy, trusting that Jesus has paid the price for their sin and who begins living for him. But the bad news is that the window for grace is closing. If you continue to harden your heart towards God, the time will come when grace is no longer available and God will act in judgment hardening your already hard heart so that you do not listen and cannot hear the things that call others to repentance and faith. And so, after the death of the livestock, many Egyptians respond in faith to the warning of hail and escape the coming judgment, but not Pharaoh. Sure, He knows there's a God. He knows that God is responsible for all that has happened and that the cause of God's anger is his refusal to obey. But he is settled in his determination to see this through, to tough it out and to refuse to submit to the authority of God. Don't be like Pharaoh. Don't be like the Israelites at so many points in their history. Don't leave it too late. So as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion, he's speaking of the Israelites here, during the time of testing in the desert. Or he could just as easily have said, do not harden your heart as Pharaoh did. God's kingdom is at hand. The hour of salvation is now. Why don't you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we look back on the history of this time and see the great and mighty hand by which you compelled Egypt to let your people go, to rescue them, from their life of slavery in Egypt. And Father, today we also recall 
the demonstration of your power and your might as Jesus walked on this earth. And Father, how with a great and mighty hand you have overcome the power of Satan through the death of Jesus on the cross. Heavenly Father, we pray, Father, that you will lead each and every one of us here today to an understanding of the grace and mercy and salvation that is an offer through the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I pray, Father, that all those who, Father, have not yet turned to him would hear this message today and would respond in faith. Father, that they would turn to the Lord Jesus in dependence on him and cry out for the mercy and grace that he offers. And Father, that they would be assured that all who call on him in faith will be welcomed, will be forgiven and will be given the grace to be called the children of God. Father, for those of us who have already put our trust and faith and confidence in Jesus, we pray, Father, that you would help us to be faithful to the end. Father, that we would commit our lives to serving and following the Lord Jesus, for sharing the message of his grace, of his love and his mercy with the world, fallen world around us. Father, so that not one of those whom you have called to be members of your kingdom might be lost. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.